Brina Garen, and you're listening to Hex Positive. Welcome, witches. This is a special bonus episode of Hex Positive. I'm your host, Brain Garen, and today we're putting on our best boots, cranking up our favorite protest songs, and heading to the Pacific Northwest to speak with a good friend of mine. They're witty, they're tough as nails, and they make some pretty damn cool buttons. All the way from Portland Buttonworks, it is Alex Reck. Welcome, Alex. How's the weather out there? Hi. Well, we have a beautiful marine layer of clouds today as the Portland winter, or Portland summers are supposed to be, unlike the 113 degree heat we had last week. So I'm feeling great. And so is my garden. Oh, thank goodness for that. I was worried because you have such a lovely yard and all those wonderful plants. Oof. I know. But you, gave, but you guys are surviving okay. Yeah, we gave everything good soak, but even like our hostas that are in the shade, it got crispy on the on the tips. of the, It was just sad. My goodness. Yikes. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the uh, the Pacific Northwest has been baking under a 100-plus degree Fahrenheit uh, heat wave for the past week or so. So thankfully, it seems to be easing. The dome is going away, and hopefully people are going to be all right. Uh, so I know you... That's yeah. that's 45 degrees for uh, Celsius. For Celsius, you. yes. <laughs> yes, thank you. I wasn't sure what the conversions were, but yikes. <laughs> Oof. So... I know you from Tumblr, from the discourse days since forever ago, and we've we've had a good working relationship for several years now. You very graciously carry my books in your shop, and uh, thank you, by the way, for uh, your longstanding support of the podcast as well. Uh, but thank you for, for creating common sense uh, uh, resources for people. It's what I love to do. <laughs> But uh, for those who haven't met you yet, please do tell the lovely listeners a bit about yourself. Um, let's see. Where do I even start? Uh, born in Texas, but spent 12 years in, well, 10 years there, 12 years in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I've been in Portland for 21 years now. Um, I've been making zines since the 90s. So zines are like small pamphlets that people um, make by themselves and they photocopy and they trade them. And so my my intersections of um, my youth are with like punk DIY punk culture and zines um, and zines are basically how I know most of my friends before uh, witchcraft took over my life. Um, so I have friends like all over the world who also create zines. So it's just a little kind of community aspect that um, is really important to me. Um, I so I run Portland Button Works, but when I started that. Um, I added on uh, a zine distro and a zine distro is basically where someone will buy like 20 copies of a zine and then resell them on their own site. And so I go to a lot of um, zine events like zine fest and things like that and sell zines and trade zines. And that's that used to be sort of um, the the side project to the making custom buttons part of my day job. Um, some And so at one point I realized like, oh, well, I can just like I have a business license, I can just like buy books from distributors. And so I started adding witchcraft books that I appreciate um, to my catalog like two years ago. And then over the pandemic, we just grew it from there. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, I like plants. I have a, a 
rather prolific garden in my small space here in Portland. Um, I like craft beer, brewing it and drinking it. Um, and I like travel when I can do that. Um, and I really do like, we can get into like my, my, my witchcraft discovery, but I really do feel like Tumblr was a place that opened that world up to me in a way that I hadn't seen before. Very cool. Uh, that actually segs neatly into a couple of the things I wanted to ask you about. Now, you and I, we're part of this small but quickly growing part of the community that practices secular witchcraft. So what does secular witchcraft mean to you? How did you get into the craft and how did you land on that particular sort of niche area? I think that um, so I'm 44 and in the 90s, there was that the 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 which thing that was happening and I had some friends who were like collecting crystals or like doing astral projection and it just didn't really it, it I had an interest in it but it didn't really hit me in that way um and then I ended up like at that point I was actually Christian and I was planning on being a youth minister so I went to um Westminster College intending to get a degree in religion and philosophy um but really studying early Christianity is what made me lose my faith and realizing it kind of intersects with politics in the same way that like the winners are the ones who make the rules, the winners are the ones who make the history. So Christian church was built on the same ideas that uh, those people in power abuse the power and create their own their own stories, um, which also intersects with zines and how with zines you don't have to have the dominant culture telling you what's okay to publish, you just publish it yourself. So just DIY has just always been really important to me. So, um, I guess I was like 29 and I was at the end of this uh, abusive marriage and I just thought, what is this witchcraft thing about? Um, so I, the first two books were like Scott Cunningham books and I picked them up and like, you know, I had my own room in the house and I was like reading in the basement and I was just like, what is this? Okay. This is interesting. And it's like, I don't know about all this. I don't really need a religion. Like I'm not really my thing. And I started, um, because I'm like, well, I'm kind of agnostic. I've been agnostic for a long time. So what can I, what can I find within um, witchcraft that would suit me? So uh, I think actually Tumblr was where I learned the term secular witchcraft because of a secular witch. And I'm like, oh, so witchcraft without religion kind of intersects also with my agnosticism. Um, and I've realize that like there is no one secular witchcraft practice there are multitudes so anyone who's building a practice that's not based on religion whether they have their own religion outside of it or whether um it's it's still secular witchcraft if they want to call it that and i guess i'm, I'm also really big into the idea of um uh self-identified terms so like you're a witch if you self-identify as a witch like calling people witches who are not witches is what what gave us like witch trials so I think about that a lot. And so if someone identifies their practice is not religious and they want to call it a secular witchcraft practice, they can. Well, that all makes perfect sense to me. And actually, uh, Tumblr and reading your blog, Up the Witchy Punks, which is a wonderful name, um, and Ask Secular Witch is where I first heard the term. And, you know, that's where it kind of jived with me as well, because, uh, you know, I have my spiritual practices sort of separate from my craft. But it was, you know, reading what you guys put out that first gave me the idea that, oh, OK, you know, 
it doesn't need to have religion attached to it because it is a craft. It is not, you know, a religious thing to be a witch. You just need to call yourself a witch. So you've actually been a huge, huge influence on how I view the craft and how I view what it means to be a witch. Oh, thank you. I think there's a certain amount of um, thoughtfulness that that needs to be there in creating a secular witchcraft practice. Like it's not, no one's going to hand it to you on a platter and you have to find out what works for you. And not everyone can do that. And it's not for everyone. Um, but it's sometimes it's slow going. Sometimes, you know, it, it, it's sometimes you understand it and sometimes you have to take a while to understand how the pieces all fit together. Absolutely. And as with any craft, you know, there's a, a, a great deal of personal responsibility and research and uh, accountability that needs to happen. And you you really need to sort of examine your own motivations and your own practices and kind of go, well, you know, this is a thing that I've certainly heard that people do, but why does it appeal to me? And where does it come from? Because, you know, we're, we're all working to sort of uh, decolonize our thinking and our practices. So we have to be very responsible with what we do. Absolutely. I think that, you know, really exploring and asking why is really important within building your own practice. Like, where does this come from? Why is someone doing this? Like, there are conflicting answers to some things, but some things um, you can definitely find your own meaning in. Oh, for sure. And this is uh, this is why I love uh, delving into the history of our modern practices and beliefs so much, because, you know, there there is a certain amount of, you know, oh, this is something that speaks to me. And so I'm going to, you know, incorporate it. But it's also just as important to understand, like, where it comes from and why we, you know, hold on to these things. And sometimes it's it's there, there are certain rituals and practices, but there's also a lot of things that kind of operate on the same mechanics. And so finding a way where you're not stealing something from another culture, but you can also see what mechanics are working within a spell or a ritual and find ways to make it your own that are not appropriative. I think it's really important for people to think about not just like, I won't do it because there's a ban on it. Like that's not helpful or thoughtful or, or, or useful unless you can understand the actual reasons why certain things are, do not belong to you. Exactly. And there's so much tangled up with that right now with with people uh, just sort of banning things because they think there's something the matter with it without, you know, sort of examining where that thought process is coming from. There's a lot of people kind of letting the Internet do their thinking for them. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I, I just said something about this the other day where, you know, we we laugh at our parents and grandparents for, you know, letting Facebook memes do their thinking for them. But I swear to God, some people are just as bad with, you know, Tumblr, Twitter and TikTok. You know, they see something, it provokes an emotional response and they just pass it on without stopping to think of where it comes from or even if it's accurate. Yeah, definitely. So fact checking people, please, 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 (laughs) please, just a little bit, a five minute Google search that doesn't seem designed to just support your own views. Anyway, (laughs) so in addition to being a witch, 
you are also a business owner. You mentioned uh, Portland Button Works and the Zine Distro, which is a lovely, lovely place. Uh, if you're out there in Portland, listeners, please do stop by. It is wonderful. Go and say hi to Alex and all the lovely people there and Jackie Cat and get yourself some amazing, amazing buttons. Um, how we're did... Not, we're actually not currently opened as a store right now. We had to move out Fair. of our house during the pandemic, but we definitely do pickups if you're in Portland and we also mail around the world, so... Fair, fair, fair. And you do have uh, the the website, portlandbuttonworks.com, that has all of your amazing services and uh, and accoutrements there. Goods and services. Yes, <laughs> goods and services, yes. So how did that come to be? So uh, my aforementioned ex-husband and I started a publishing and distribution company. And so when we split up, um, he kept the business. And then I was, I just, I made custom buttons. So I grew my business from there. Um, but that was basically like, I started making custom buttons by someone saying, here's a button machine. And I'm like, okay, cool. I guess I'll make buttons for the punks. Um, but now, uh, I make buttons for like universities and nonprofits and the city of Portland. And so it's kind of, kind of growing, like starting small and then growing bigger over time. Um, that's kind of how I, think of everything as opposed to like, I'm going to get a big loan and do this thing. It's like, well, how can I start small and build up to what I want? That's a good way of looking at it. And you have built it up. I mean, you've, you've gone from having just this, uh, this button making machine to now having the shop and the zine distro. And you, you have this whole new section that has books and tarot decks and all sorts of witchy goodies and stuff. Yeah. It's um, I'm, I'm always like tickled by the fact that other people enjoy my curation, whether it's zines or like the witchcraft books. I feel like I've done a pretty good job at like curating stuff that is thoughtful and useful and like, um, like your book, uh, your books. Yeah. So, uh, I, it's always makes me really happy when people are like, Oh my gosh, like all of these books in one place. And I'm like, yes. That is why I really enjoy uh, recommending your shop to people who are looking for good places to find witch books, because that's, you know, half of what lands in my inbox anymore is where can I find books? Where can I find good resources? You know, what are good authors to check out? I'm like, just go to the PW, uh, PBW zine distro. They've got everything. <laughs> You'll probably find something there that is good. And because it's curated, it's like this isn't just something that somebody slapped on a shelf because they thought it would sell well. You've had a look at it and it's like, OK, yes, this is good stuff. It is, you know, it, it, it has views that are worth hearing. It has stuff that is important for people to hear. And, you know, hopefully it is free or mostly free of uh, some of the more frequent flyer problematic themes that we see, I guess you could say. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I try to carry things that are not like just steeped in appropriation and like just misinformation too. Like, um, but also I want to carry things that come from a different uh, perspective. So I carry stuff from like smaller places like um, Gods and Radicals, which is like a, a pagan publisher that works like a anarchist Marxist pagan publisher or, um, what's the other small press that I carry? They, they reprinted the um, uh, gay witchcraft um, in the counterculture book. Um, yeah, there's just a bunch of like a bunch of little ones and a lot of zines too, like people making their own witchcraft zines, which are really cool. And we, we offer a lot of books on like folklore. Right now there's a lot of really am uh, amazing books about American folklore 
and kind of witchcraft folklore intersection. Because I really do think there's a difference between talking about magic and talking about witchcraft and like general occult topics too. Because like not everyone who does magic considers himself a witch. That's the other aspect that I, I think about a lot. It's very true. I actually really love uh, the, the the episode episode. Oh, my goodness. I really love the issue of your DIY witchery zine that uh, that deals with secular witchcraft and the dabblers week. <laughs> that is so much fun. Actually, can you can you uh, tell the listeners about that one real quick? Because that's one they're going to want to pick up. Yeah. So there was this article, like, I guess a year and a half ago. And the article was like, i I tried to become a witch in a week and here's all the stuff I did. And like, they're, they're like, I got all these crystals and I got a really dumb book. And then I tried to be a witch. And now I just think that witches are all like anti-vaxxers, woo-woo, anti-science. And it's like, what are you even talking about? And like the internet exploded and witches got angry and blah, blah, blah. But a secular witch said, well, what would you tell someone to do in a dabbler's week? And like, that's, I love that kind of thought process though of, um, well, you're upset, but how do you fix it? And what would you do to change it? So again, we're talking about activism in a way, just a way that you see power in the world. And then how do you want to change that? So I wrote my week and I, I don't have it in front of me. I could grab it and um, we could talk about what I did. But basically, I think that when you when you decide to be a witch, you're, you're deciding to see the world in a different way. You're deciding to see the world in a more um, malleable way in a more creative way, in a more interesting way. Um, you're choosing to see the world as a place that's alive. Like, I think that's where I, I'm, I consider myself a soft animist. Like, I don't, be, I don't really know about the concept of a soul and whether things have a soul. But I do believe that things have essences and things have things that make them thrive and things that make them die. Like plants, you know, like they need water, they need sunlight, they need certain versions or certain amounts of both. But how do we interact with the world and what is our responsibilities in that? So I kind of talked about creating a witchcraft dabblers, a dabblers week of witchcraft in that sense of like, how do you see the world around you? How do you relate to the world around you? And that I think is kind of a starting place for beginning witchcraft practice. That is a really good place to start. Just, you know, seeing the world in a different way, because you're going to have to uh, adjust to a new way of thinking and some new perspectives in order to, you know, have a strong foundation for your craft. And you will have to kind of review that on an ongoing basis as you as you build your practice. I think I also think that, um, you know, how new witches are always like, I saw a feather on the ground. What does it mean? Like, I keep seeing 1111. Like, what does it mean? And like the way that I think about it. It's that you're training yourself to see the world differently. And you're, these things have probably always been there, but you're just now noticing them. Um, Carl Jung has this concept of synchronicity, and everyone always thinks that synchronicity is the world trying to tell me something. But I don't think the synchronicity is a world trying to tell you something. Synchronicity is, trying, is you telling the world that you see it. And it's, it's, it's an animistic way of recognizing the world around you and what's going on. And it just kind of broadens your perspective of what is possible in the world. I like that. You know, speaking as someone who who very frequently will, you know, get a song stuck in her head and then hear it on the radio or have it come up in the Spotify shuffle. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah. Very cool. So I mark your ads 
on the show, which I'm sure my longtime listeners will be familiar with, uh, <laughs> with with this tagline, fighting fascism one button at a time since 2012. There's a reason for that. Uh, you're very vocal in the activist community. I know you've done your share of protesting. Heck, some of the action this past year happened practically in your backyard. I mean, so literally. <laughs> yeah. My gosh. What a year we've had. Oof. Oh, boy. So without getting yourself or anyone else in trouble, let's talk about witchcraft activism. In your view, where does magic fit into modern activist movements? So uh, the first protest I went to, I was like 16 and it was a Fur Free Friday, which is like a protest against use of fur in the 90s. And I was at this protest and a friend standing next to me and someone's like, why are they wearing, why is that person wearing leather shoes? And my friend said, well, everyone fights their own battles. And I kind of think about that a lot because when people think activists, they think, oh, you know, people in the streets and direct actions and whatever. But I think that, um, you know, mundanely and, and in a magical way, there's ways that you can do things that aren't necessarily always on the front line. And sometimes those things that are happening in the background in activist communities are the more important part of of what's going on. It's the organizational process. Um, yeah, so uh, th in the same way that I see witchcraft as a way of looking at the world differently, I also see activism as a way of, um, of assessing power and, and examining your relationship to power, but also figuring out ways that you can explore the use of power and you can you can also change that and and also, you know, in honoring all people involved. I like what you said just there about um, the the background stuff with activism uh, sometimes being just as important as what's happening on the front lines, because, you know, yes, it is incredibly, incredibly important to bring visibility to these issues and to to uplift marginalized voices and, you know, everything that we've we've been uh, you know trying to do recently and in years past. Uh, but like you said, you know, there's so much more that needs to happen that's not just marching, that's not just holding up signs. And that that does kind of tie into witchcraft. Just like with magic, you can cast all the spells you want, you know, kind of shouting at the universe in a way. Uh, but if you don't back them up with practical action, nothing is likely to happen. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um, I was I was also thinking about this and it's funny because I was thinking about it and then I was reading a book and it did the same thing. But, you know, the witch's pyramid, like, to mm, know, yeah, to dare to keep secret. Um, yeah. It's it's actually really valid to be used in, in activism, too. So like to know, like it's basically assessing the situation and then the will, like finding the the path and the ways to get things done and to dare is to do it. But then part of like part of activism is keeping silent about the actual things that you do and like watching them manifest in the world. Um, there's also another concept in activism and I, I knew the concept, but I hadn't really thought about the way that it works with witchcraft until I was reading Revolutionary Witchcraft by Sarah Lyons. And um, they talk about power mapping. Do you, want, do you know what power mapping is? I'm vaguely familiar with it, but, but go ahead. It's basically creating a visual representation of your playing field. 
So basically, um, you, you, you find a goal and then you find the people who hold the power in those positions. You find the relationships to power between those people. And then you fought like, it's basically follow the money, follow the power, find where and, and places. So all of it intersects in ways that you can kind of try to disrupt or, um, find ways of making action. And you can use the same thing like with with witchcraft too. Like, well, what's the goal? What are, you know, where are the relationships to power? Where is it, where are there chinks in the armor that you can like, you can work through um, and who can help you do it? So there's another concept in, in which, in uh, activism called mutual aid. And that's where sometimes you don't always agree on everything with other people, but you can also agree on enough to get things done uh, when you have a common goal. So it's like using your resources and, and helping other people with their resources too. That makes sense. Um, I, I've actually only really ever applied power mapping to sort of actual maps uh -huh. <laughs> uh, because it's it's mostly been caught up in when I've been doing um, like weather mapping, like working mm -hmm. with existing uh, weather systems to make mm -hmm. things happen that way. Yeah. But I, I love the idea of, of planning uh sort of planning magic like the same way you would uh, plan a campaign. Like, okay, here's what's need, what needs to happen. Here are the players involved. Here's where the, the resources are. How can we make this turn the way we want to? Yeah, and I think um, another another aspect that I use in my witchcraft that is a, witch, a book that you wouldn't think is a witchcraft book is The Art of War by Sun Tzu. Um, it's a, it's oh, a, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's a military treaty from China. And it's it's basically like, it's the same sort of thing of like finding the power, mapping the power, whether you're doing something defensively or offensively. Um, and at the heart, at the core of me, I believe that power works because we don't think about it. If we don't see the power in action, we don't know what we're fighting against. So again, like, like witchcraft, being able to see the world differently is the same thing as like activism is being able to see the world differently and where the power is and who has the power and how do they wield it? And also how can you intersect with that and how can you negate that? Like, how can you kind of turn the wheels towards something different? Yeah. And sometimes it's a subtle shift. Like, like mm -hmm. you, again, like you don't have to be always out there in the streets, but, you know, you could be making magical food to give to protesters. You could be, you know, doing subtle things of like supporting donations towards certain organizations. So I'm sure many of us have heard of and maybe even participated some of these uh, these acts of sort of supportive activism through magic and uh, and, you know, giving of resources and the giving of, of sort of background aid to the people on the front line over the past few years. I mean, if, if you can't march, you got to do something right. So. You mentioned in conversation uh, recently that this has led to some good results and some less desirable ones. Uh, can you expand on that? So we were talking about uh, in our emails about the the binding of 45 or the, the cursing of the president. And it's just like you do understand that like the president is a figurehead of our country and like your random cursing isn't really getting us anywhere because it's really just like shitting on all of us. <laughs> um, because it's not it's not focused. It's not creative. It's not useful. Like the president doesn't actually have all that much power besides what he wields in like uh, Trump's bizarre like um, 
glamour magic almost. So like part of what I did and everyone else was like, blah, 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 curse the president. But before the, before the election, um, I had gotten my stimulus check, which literally had a signature on it. So I have these specific spell jars that I reuse and then I, I recalibrate them for a new spell by burning a candle on top of it. Um, and I use my, I have one that has eyes all over the inside of it. So I just drew um, some glasses over his name and rolled it up and put it in the, that spell jar. And the idea was like for everyone to see who he is, like to see him for what he is, like to to unveil like his machinations. And um, yeah, I don't know. I liked it. It helped me kind of focus on what needed to be seen in that. Yeah. Yeah. That's very close to, I mean, different methodology, but that was basically the focus of where my sort of pre-election stuff went as well. Just sort of this idea of, I may not be able to stop this from happening, but, you know, at least we can make sure that if something, you know, if he tries to sneak stuff in there, we can make sure that everybody sees it. You know, he's not going to be able to sweep stuff under the rug. Yeah. Um, and judging by the way the next four years went, I, I like to think that, you know, that's what happened. Yeah. Whether we had uh, an effect on it or not, it's certainly very satisfying. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I agree with you, though, that a lot of what um, what got thrown around in the, the the sort of discussions about, oh, we're going to, to hex this guy. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. It was very unfocused and it was just a lot of people saying, oh, it, it basically amounted to a lot of ill wishing. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we, we get it. We're all angry, you know, but this is a figurehead and he is not the be all end all of you know, this system, however much he thought he was. And, you know, just focusing on this one person isn't going to have the effect that you think it is, especially when you're just kind of wagging a metaphysical finger and going bad, bad, bad. You know, it's it's not going to, to do very much. It's like, okay, can we maybe focus on making sure that people stay safe? Can we focus on making sure that the uh, protective systems that already exist are not dismantled? You know, can we maybe just make sure and focus on that this is a single term presidency for heaven's sake? Um, Which also fortunately happened. Again, that's also like, that's power mapping. It's not like Mm -hmm. the one person and your goal is that one person. It's like looking at the structure that upholds that and how can you subvert what they're trying to do by creative ways, not like, I'm just going to burn this picture. Like, okay, but like, what does that do? Like, what are you, what are you trying to achieve by, by that? Are you trying to make things better or just like, I don't know, dude got COVID and almost died, but like, that wasn't really helpful. It just made everyone focus on that. Exactly. And as so many people pointed out, it's like, hey, you know, even if and not that we would wish this on a person, but if something did happen, there are other people sort of in line that would have been. I'm not going to go as far as to say just as bad, but certainly just as unhelpful. So dealing with a new complication, you know? Yeah, exactly. Deal with the one that you have or, you know, you're going to have to recalibrate and deal with a different one. Exactly. So it's it's like, OK, it's not one person that we needed to worry about. It was an entire administration that we needed to, you know, kind of focus on, OK, we need to limit the effect they can have and we need to limit the amount of time that they're going to spend in power. 
And then, you know, now the things have taken a turn back in a more promising direction. You know, we need to keep our foot on the gas, so to speak, and uh, not just go, oh, OK, well, thank God, you know, that four years is over and and now we can relax. No, no, yeah. no, no, no. Look at what we managed to accomplish in those four years with everything against us. Now that we have an administration that, you know, stands a chance of actually maybe listening, we need to keep holding them accountable uh, with the same fervor that we did before. Yeah, definitely. I mean, also, like, we all we all focus at thinking about what the elected officials in Washington are doing, but also like looking at your own community, like what can you do to foster, you know, solidarity and mutual aid in your own community? And I mean, I don't know, I'm an anarchist. And so I think in those sorts of terms, not necessarily in electoral politics terms. Um, but yeah, I, I know that I exist within the system of democracy, so I have to like find ways that I am comfortable interfacing with that. Um, and when I say I'm an anarchist, I mean like I'm an aspirational anarchist and I believe that humans who govern themselves govern themselves best and that you can work within solidarity networks to actualize what is important to people without the use of coercion. Um, and that's basically what anarchism is. Makes sense to me. <laughs> um, we we do see a lot of people out there who uh, sort of do the oh you know we we need anarchy and by that we mean we need to just tear down this system and completely start again and it's like y you do know that completely dismantling everything all at once is not going to be good right so you know if you haven't, yeah if you haven't fostered those like solidarity networks in the beginning like that's not going to work so that's, yeah. the, that's the other part of like looking at your local communities and what you can do um, mm -hmm. it's funny because like. Anarchism is important to me and also like like I've got flavors of chaos magic within my magical system and people take the idea of chaos magic completely wrong too. So it's kind of like, oh, I exist in these things because I know about stuff that other people don't care about. <laughs> but yes, exactly what you were saying. Um, it's so important to focus on building stronger communities and those stronger sort of sort of street level uh, networks that we need for to, to make sure people are are taken care of, and that way, you know, if it comes to a point later on where things are going to change at a fundamental level, you have support structures in place so that you know things just don't all come tumbling down at once and people are left kind of floundering. Yeah, definitely. There's a, I don't know. There's there's a, a lot of people who are um, well, capitalism in general is what's trying to keep us demoralized and, and, and singular as opposed to working collectively together. Right. So uh, we uh, have a very special event coming up just to kind of move things uh, back into a, a more upbeat sphere. Uh, as of this recording, uh, it's still about a month away, but it's coming up fast. And that is SASCON. Can you tell us a little bit about SASCON and how it came to be? Yeah, so uh, SASCON stands for Secular Atheist Agnostic Science and Scientifically Minded Witches. Um, so I'm part of this Facebook group that had an ever-changing name, but it's basically an atheist face uh, Facebook group. And I'm not an atheist, I'm an agnostic, but I intersect a lot better with these like science-minded people than I do with a lot of like the witchcraft groups that are, that, yeah. <laughs> There's, there is some shit posting in this group where they're just like, oh my gosh, like people telling stories and then screen capping them and hiding the names and being like, what 
are people thinking like it, it definitely seems like a Brina Guerin sort of like this is not this is not science like this is not this is not like uh, you know not not accurate um, so it's a lot of people who can look at witchcraft in that way but it's kind of in it it became a a really thoughtful and supportive community of witches and we kept talking about oh what if we have a convention um, and then like five or six of us decided, well, what if we have a convention? What if we make a, um, a, like a con for atheist witches? And what if we did it virtually? So uh, we decided to have some meetings and see what we could do. Um, we did some early uh, surveys to see what people wanted and people from the group really wanted a a community space. They wanted a social space and social aspect. And I mean, I would be more leaning towards having more like, um, I don't know, like theory talking about magic and stuff, but people really wanted a social event. So I'm like, I can totally help fulfill that. So we're kind of merging the two. Um, we're having a couple sort of guided group discussions of like with Zoom, it's like Zoom and Discord. So we're using kind of both of them to create this whole convention. So there's gonna be some sort of like social aspects where um, we'll put you in a Zoom room randomly and like people can like show off their altar or show off their, their cat or show off their dog or show off their bunny. Uh, we may even do some like, like witchy scavenger hunts, which is kind of working with the fact that if people are in their actual home, actually comfortable space, what can we do to create community, like inviting people into your house? with other like-minded witches um, that we may not be able to intersect with other witchcraft communities as well as the ones that we fostered for ourselves, which again, DIY. Um, so there's those aspects, but then we also have aspects where we are gonna have a panel. Cause I think that, I mean, as a secular witch, I think that it's very important to show that not all secular witches are the same. So we do have a panel that um, it's gonna have me and you and Lee from the UK um, and send a woo. So it's a very interesting mix of different kinds of like secular, agnostic, atheist, which is, um, and there's a couple other panels we're working on, but the idea isn't to be like, here's the end all be all of one thing. It's the, here is a multitude of voices talking on the same subject. Um, so then we also have these talks and micro talks, which are, um, if one person knows a lot about a specific topic, like I'd really just like to talk about like rosemary for five minutes, um, we would let someone like have that space to talk about the thing that they're really interested and knowledgeable about. So um, I kind of like that micro talk idea because it kind of gives you a glimpse into someone's practice without like them saying, this is how it must be done or this is how you must relate to it. But again, it's, it's, it's offering a space for like the fostering of multiple ideas and multiple understandings. We're also using the Discord at the same time um, for uh, discussions, further discussions on this topic. So each one of the panels and each one of the talks will also have a, a panel discussion. And since we have people all over the world, we're also running this um, from a certain time frame where it kind of makes sense that some people can kind of jump into some subjects if they you know, wake up in Australia and want to jump in and watch a, a workshop. Um, and then we're going to have some of these workshops are going to be archived and um, there you can buy an access like a, a recorded access to it and not just a um, not just have to watch it live. But you can also go back and discuss it on the discord where you can talk about like, you know, I saw this on the thing and I wanted to talk about it more or if you have questions to ask. So that's kind of like Friday's kind of a social thing. Saturday is the workshops and the panels and the Sunday is kind of a 
a chill brunch in a way where people can like have a Q&A with the people, like any other questions that got brought up, they can discuss those on Sunday. So that's kind of like the whole overview of what we're trying to achieve. And I'm really excited about it because I just like, you know, my, my, my social group of witches is like Tumblr and this Facebook group. But if we can get more people talking about things in, like I've been to some witch conventions that were just like not really my bag. So um, I, I don't need to like, yuck someone's yum but i i just want to yum 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 our own yum <laughs> well it definitely does sound yummy i am so excited for this this is going to be my first sort of witch convention and it's my first sort of uh speaking gig outside of like a, a podcast thing oh, cool. and thank you again a million times for inviting me to be part of this i am so jazzed it's like oh oh goodness, wait a second. You know, I've, I've made it far enough in the community that people want me to be on a panel for something. Oh shoot, I've made it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm a happy witch. I'm a very happy witch and it's going to be an absolute blast. Um, it does remind me of like the long form conversations uh, that sort of used to happen on Tumblr as, as much as we talk about, you know, the bad old days of, of the discourse um, you know, it's it still was fun having those sort of multi-person long form discussions about various traditions and magical mechanics and how, you know, you put spells together and what people were doing with their craft. That doesn't really happen anymore. So I really, I'm really I'm really looking forward to, to seeing that happen at the con. I really think that for me, like Tumblr really opened my eyes to different ways of building spells and seeing the world and I'm really, I'm, I'm really thankful that, you know, I got into witchcraft like 15 years ago in my late, late twenties, early thirties, which is a lot older than a lot of other people. Um, and to be able to like have the ability to use my own personal experiences, plus whatever, you know, the experiences of other people that are totally different than me and like just hearing the input. And yeah, I just, I, I really enjoy that. Like I don't find other people having, um, different experiences or different styles of witchcraft or even different practices. I don't find it intimidating because like their practice is not my practice. I'm not comparing them. I'm just building on my own and like learning. I mean, I'm in a Gemini. I'm curious about everything, like just a little bits of a lot of things. Well, that's what makes a good practice, isn't it? Is, is being curious and finding out new stuff. I should hope so. Yeah. And that's, that's also, I think that's half the fun of, being a witch is like no you you don't have to limit yourself with what you can learn you have to limit yourself just a little bit with what you can practice to you know respect uh you know cultural boundaries and stuff but you can still learn about just about anything that you want uh including stuff that maybe we were raised to think was uh like don't even read a book about this or your 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 entire life will go to shit yeah I mean, one of the things recently is um, uh, J. Allen Cross's book, American Bruja, which is like, um, you know, Mexican-American wrote an entire book about like their experience, which is different than Bujaria out of out of Mexico. And it's like, it's not my practice, but I find it fascinating to read because it makes me understand people better. It makes me understand not just like the, you know, magical practitioners of this but also like the cultural understandings of things it just i just think having a lot of information and then being able to have good critical thinking skills to be able to 
you know, know where to put it in your life of like where to understand it and how to understand the world and people around you better. Oh, million percent. Yes. And and not just the, the critical thinking, but also all the the intersections, because there are so many ways in which we are alike. And it's neat to see like, OK, well, this this practice has this thing, but this practice has this thing and they may call it two different things. But it's basically the same thing. You know, that doesn't mean that it's a necessarily open thing, but it's it's like poppets and voodoo dolls. It's like, yes, voodoo dolls are a thing. And, you know, people immediately think of that when they think sympathetic magic with a doll. But that's a closed practice. However, we still do have this other practice with poppets that is open for everyone to use. And if you don't look at, you know, sort of intersectional stuff with witchcraft, you might not know that. Yeah, it's it's the. You know, sympathetic magic works in, sorry, sympathetic magic works in so many different ways, but like you see that that's the paradigm and structure that's working underneath all of these different systems, except for those systems are drawing from different experiences to build a practice that reflects their culture. Um, and so that's the, the difference between like looking at a paradigm and understanding how it works versus the you know, cultural theft. Exactly, exactly. And I, I love seeing. I just don't understand why people I don't understand why people are so like grabby hands about other cultures when all, all they got to do is do some thinking and, and, and see what that fulfills and what that looks like. And then looking at other ways that they could manifest the same, not the same, but a similar paradigm, a similar mechanic without like they, are they trying to do grabby hands with things? Because I think it makes it more magical or more, yeah, I don't know. I just think about that a lot. It's like, why don't, don't you want to make something that's like more you and not something else? I think about that a lot too. Um, I, I think that some of it just sort of comes from like the roots of the modern witchcraft me, uh, movement where it was, you know, uh, this idea that all these spiritual practices kind of belong to everybody and no one was really stopping to think about what that meant in practice. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, we got all these things that were passed down by people going, oh, okay, you know, maybe at the time we were cool with, with sharing this, but viewed from a different cultural lens, you know, 50, 60 years later, it's like, oh, okay, this is, this is actually not cool. And we need to, uh, we need to examine our thinking and our motivation on this. Uh, I, I do think that some of it is just that we, you know, and I'm, I'm saying this from the perspective of a, a person who, who is white and does have white privilege, um, that we, we see these other spiritualities that are from non-white people that are from indigenous communities that are from you know other places uh and just kind of going ooh, that sounds neater than what i know here i'll bet it's more magical or more spiritual or which somehow is, more fulfilling and connected than what i know which is so we, really, we want that which is really just a gross exoticization of of other cultures too like, exactly. I think that's a really fascinating thing about um, all of these like books and things about like um, like the New World Witchery podcast, which is like, what is the magic that's in your backyard? There's a lot of books that are coming out about like American folk magic traditions that you can that you can put into a witchcraft practice. And like, I think that's really fascinating. 
Um, and also like people think that, oh, just because it's old, that means it's mystical and that means it's, it's, it somehow has more value to it. But, you know, if your magic doesn't change with the times, then like how, how is it going to work in these times? Exactly. And things don't have to be, you know, exotic or from distant lands or, you know, ancient and antique in order to be perfectly valid. I mean, Wicca is less than 100 years old and it's perfectly valid. Um, I mean, also like the incorporation of pop culture with craft is fascinating, too, because we put as a culture, we put so much energy into our, our pop culture that why not use what's there, you know? Like, I mean, I don't know, I just think oh, of yeah. the, the Discworld books and the Discworld witches and how, like, yeah, I'm just going to make a shamble. I don't know, I found, like, like a fork in the road and, like, a shoestring, and I'm going to tie it together with this twig and, like, use that to, like, focus something and use that in magic. You know, it's, it's it, make your own things. Like, work with what you have. I think that's that's the important, interesting thing about folk practices is that, it wasn't about going to the store and buying your like Wicca 101 kid that came with like 12 herbs you have no relationship to and like an athame made in China. But you work with the, you know, if you live in an urban setting, you work with like the quote weeds or the, you know, plants that grow in your area or trees or like getting to know the world around you. Again, we go back to like looking at the world differently. Um, I think that's really important for people to do in their, in their own practice. It's not just like, like grabby hands, you take all this stuff without examining the world that's around you right now. I love that you brought up the disc world, which is <laughs> yes. Oh God. Uh, the, the, the whole disc world view of witchcraft has had a huge impact on my own journey as a witch. Um, you know, largely that, you know, the, the, the granny weather wax thing, you know, a witch, ought never to be afraid even in the darkest forest because she should be sure in her soul that the scariest thing in the forest was her. Um, yeah. And, and also that bit from, I think it's, it's Wintersmith where it was like, you know, you know, Oh, all witches are selfish. Good. Then make selfishness a weapon, you know, defend what is yours, you know, make these problems your own and then take care of them. You know, hey, don't just seems, stand back and watch things happen. That also seems like witchcraft activism right there. It is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And it, it does kind of tie into pop culture witchcraft. Uh, I've gotten a lot of my views on how magic works and how, you know, spells work just from reading works of fiction and going, huh, you know what? That makes a ton of sense. And then that gets incorporated into the practice and oh look it works uh, it's um again it's about seeing the world differently and everything becomes a possibility i mean i guess that's a little bit of chaos magic speaking too some possibilities are more possible than others well i mean it's all chaos in the end so all we can do is uh, is kind of work within it and if we can make some sense of uh, the, the, the bit of chaos that belongs to us and work within that, so much the better. I'm currently reading a book about um, working with a void. And I think about that in terms of chaos magic. And I think that for pop culture magic, a thing that, um, I don't know if you've read the Amber Chronicles. There's these, there's these books by Roger Zelazny and how like if you're a, a son or daughter of, of Amber, you can walk through 
chaos. Like it's not like it's not good versus bad. It's order versus chaos is sort of the the dichotomy. So what you can walk through, am or you walk through shadow and there everything is possible in shadows. So you can find a world that has like where where guns don't work and the sky is orange and you know like bananas taste like strawberries. But um, you could also just keep walking until you find what you're looking for. So I think about that a lot in the terms of chaos magic of like you're like drawing from bits and pieces of what you want to get to a certain place. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of how I, how I work with chaos magic. Today on I didn't realize I was doing chaos magic until <laughs> um, that actually resonates very, very strongly with um, something that I incorporated into my own uh, practice after reading Anne Bishop's ephemera series. Um, that's a world where things are kind of fractured into landscapes. It's not like it's not seen as like a planet. It's these different sort of floating realities. Mm -hmm. And there are bridges in between them. And there's a very big emphasis on uh people who, who take care of these things, the landscapers, and mm -hmm. they have gardens that are representative of like their sort of set of pieces of reality mm -hmm. and uh, working within that garden, tending that garden uh, sort of keeps all those pieces healthy and aligned. Mm -hmm. And it's all about finding the pieces of landscape that resonate with you and moving between them. And it's, it's a cool series, but yeah, that, that sounds awfully familiar. <laughs> I think there are aspects of, of chaos magic that get a bad rap because there is a bit of grabby hands and use whatever you can. But also, like, you could not you don't have to do that with, you know, closed practices. I don't know if you heard that. Jackie Cat just walked in. Oh, <laughs> uh, hi, Jackie. Hey, buddy. Hi, baby. Good kitty. <laughs> oh, he has things to say. It's true. He's been outside. He's been he's been intimidating dogs oh <laughs> good boy anyway. well, if he wants to jump on the call he certainly can <laughs> he's got a thing to tell havoc oh jeez. <laughs> <laughs> well do do go ahead you were saying uh so, something about um chaos magic not just being grabby hands and use whatever you can Oh, yeah, that's kind of what people presume it to be. But also, like, if you can apply that to pop culture magic and you can apply that to, you know, garbage you find on the street and you can apply that to, um, you know, the way you interact with your siblings or your family or just multitude ways of doing it that aren't always obvious. A lot of a uh, lot of thinking outside the box, so to speak. Yep. It's kind of what nice. I've been doing all my life. So. <laughs> <laughs> Chaos magic, the ultimate DIY. <laughs> I love it. Oh, well, that is freaking fabulous. And I, I can't wait to uh, talk about all this with everybody at SASCON and, you know, bring this out into the world so other people can uh, can interact with it. Uh, Alex, thanks so much for joining me today. This has been an absolute pleasure and I'm so happy we finally got to talk. Yeah, thanks, Bree. This is really fun. And I really I enjoy the podcast and I enjoy your books. And I'm so glad that, you know, we carry them. And I'm really looking forward to SASCON. Um, the website is awitchcon.com. And there's also SASCON on Facebook and awitchcon on um, Instagram, too. So tickets will be on sale soon. And um, yeah, we're going to go from there. So thanks for having me, Bree. 
Absolutely. Uh, before we go, do you have any socials you want to plug? Uh, let people know where to, where to find the shop. Um, yeah, so portlandbuttonworks.com is our website. Uh, to get just to the witchy stuff, you go to pbwwitchshop.com. It just redirects to the witchcraft shop on the site. Uh, I'm up the witchy punks on um, on Tumblr and Instagram, and then I'm Alex Rex, A-L-E-X-W-R-E-K-K on um, Instagram and yeah, most places on the internet. And um, thanks for having me. Well, you're a fabulous person. I had to get you on here. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So remember, which is get your buttons from Portland Button Works. Check out that awesome zine distro and the witch shop. Check out SASCon if you haven't already. And we look forward to seeing you. Until next time, this is Bree and Alex reminding you to stay safe. Get vaccinated if you can. Protest safely and witchcraft is direct action. Hex Positive is a proud member of the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network. Check out everything they have to offer, including our sibling podcast, BS Free Witchcraft, over at nerdandtie.com. Intro and outro music by Kevin McLeod. For all the latest updates, follow at hex underscore podcast on Twitter. You can also follow me at, at Brina Garen on Twitter and Instagram. For more information on my books, you can check out my WordPress and my Amazon author page. And if you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash Stay safe, wash your hands, and remember, always practice safe hacks.